Welcome to Turning Conscience into Action, the Earth Charter Podcast. Join Miriam Vilela, Earth Charter International Executive Director, in her fascinating conversations with great thinkers, scholars, and activists from around the world who are working in the fields of sustainability, ethics, education, and social transformation. Our purpose is to generate new insights on how to face current global challenges and inspire informed action. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our Earth Charter podcast episode with Professor Daniela Tilbury. Daniela is Commissioner for Sustainable Development and Future Generations at the Government of Gibraltar. Among other things, she is also the UK government focal point for all matters on ESD, Education for Sustainable Development. Daniela, it's such an honor to have you here with us for this episode of our Earth Charter podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Miriam. It's, it's great to be able to reconnect with you and, and your work. Um, so thank you for inviting me. Thank you. So uh, let's start uh, this podcast, Daniela. We have put together to really help people, offer people resources, uh, especially the audience um, is educators uh, from various parts of the world. Certainly also students, university students. Among other things, it's actually being used by people who are just interested in researching more on ESD. So in brief, um, could you share with us what is your take on the futures of education? What are the various scenarios, challenges, and the direction that we should take, especially from a higher education angle? Wow, what a question. <laughs> okay, um, so it is my view, I think, that education is currently failing us. It's failing our students, it's failing our society, and definitely our planet. Um, I, I think that it's not fit for purpose. Um, and I very often argue that we need to engage in a process of reimagining, recrafting our education systems. But let me explain that a little bit better, if I can. Um, why do I say this? Well, Greta's generation is right to be angry. Greta and the Fridays for Climate movement exemplifies how education has failed our, our young people. Uh, they're frustrated, they're disengaged, uh, particularly with the political and social processes that, that shape the society we're in. But instead of resorting to engaging through these set systems, they're going to the streets to protest. So why is this? Um, well, the answer lies in education. Our schools, our colleges, our universities have focused teaching about knowledge and understanding, about telling them how the world is, rather than how it can be. It tells them about the problems, about the issues. It does not provide the type of educational experience, that, you know, which, which I think is really important, relating to the skills, capabilities, and real-life situations that you need to learn from and to engage in, in your professional community, in your everyday life, so that you can make a difference. And I think that the lack of experiences in this area have meant that they have built up concern and fr frustration. So, you know, when you ask me about the futures of education, for me, it is an absolute priority that we challenge the education systems so that these young people 
Greta, their generation, her generation, can actually shape the rapidly changing landscape that we have at the moment, rather than simply learn how to analyze and understand this landscape, which is currently changing. Until we do that, education will continue to fail. And there are many blind spots in education where uh, both educators, sometimes students, and certainly administrators and agencies in education are not seeing the problem because they, they, they don't recognize that our education systems are being mirrors of our society. They are reproducing, they're reflecting the current tensions between people and planet. They do very little to help enlighten students with alternative futures, with lighting up pathways where they know they can begin to change things. So for me, this, this, is, this is critical. And the reason why I think futures education, education for sustainable development needs to challenge the current way we go about our education. Thank you so much. Indeed, uh, if we are there just to teach students about how the world are or is, um, they can just Google it, right? They can search yeah. in the internet and, and find a lot of information of, of what is there. So I, I very much appreciate you emphasizing the importance of, uh, of helping students to see the world beyond what it is now, trying to envision a different world. Yeah, um, it's not... It's not future fit, you know, it's not uh, currently education is not fit for the future. I think this is the key aspect as, as the voice of young people is not very present as we design education, as the, we, we teach education, they're, they're really passive in this process. Yeah, sure. Now, you, you mentioned ESD, Education for Sustainable Development, and you certainly have been a pioneer in working the forefront of this thinking around ESD. Would you uh, share with us what, what is ESD for you? What is that? Why and how could we make it happen in practice? Okay. Um, to, answer, to answer the first question about what it is for me, I, I think I probably would need to go back to 1988. Uh, I'm showing my age, I, I know. <laughs> um, I was very uh, young. An undergraduate, uh, a university undergraduate at the time, and I was on an exchange visit to Australia when I was 20 years old, um, which helped me cement my interest in quality of life issues and concerns for the planet, and marrying those with questions about the purpose and practice of education. I went to Australia. I It helped me open my eyes and start questioning my own assumptions about what I thought reality was like, what I thought education was all, what education was all about. And, and it helped me understand how many contradictions there are between what education seeks to achieve and how it is actually practiced in the classrooms all around the world, not just in your own hometown. There's a lovely cartoon by a gentleman called Warren Brown that captures this tension really perfectly. He actually draws a teacher standing next to a blackboard in a very traditional classroom setting with young students sitting in single desks lined up facing the front. And in that cartoon, the teacher says, I expect you all to be independent, innovative, critical thinkers who will do exactly as I say. 
Now, those who worked with me have heard me say that phrase a thousand times. They're probably sick of it. But to me, this contradiction is what is at the heart of unsustainable practice in education. And it's what drives my work in this area, because it gives me an opportunity to explore the dynamic of what is happening in classrooms, the relationship between the teacher and the student, in in lecture rooms equally between the professors and, and the graduates. And then seeing how that is relevant to the type of skills, abilities, and capabilities that we are needing our young people to have um, when they go out in the world. So all of this has fueled my interest in what I would call educational reform. It's helped me understand that uh, we have to ground our pedagogical approaches, our student learning outcomes, very much in support of social justice and planetary boundaries. And until we challenge those contradictions of how we teach and what students learn in support of sustainability, our education systems will continue to reproduce things that are unsustainable in our world. You know, that that Mm -hmm. is why that particular student experience for me was was life-changing. And it is the reason why I still engage in the issue of sustainable development in education. To answer the second part of your question about uh, you know, what is it about ESD that's important? Um, what are the core components of it? Uh, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. And I, I want to start by, by trying to highlight that before I start to identify what I think it is. Um, to me, education for sustainable development is not about exposing children to nature. It is not about teaching climate science or understanding the links between poverty and environmental disasters. This should be taught in school anyway. And I think in some places there's an element of it in the science curriculum, in the geography curriculum, in the language or English curriculum, and sometimes even in the religious studies um, subject matter. This is basic knowledge. You know, this is a basic understanding that we must have. But to me, that's not ESD because ESD goes well beyond that to try and bring a new set of glasses to the learner so that they can see themselves and their role in the world and the relationships between people and planet in very different ways. And that requires the education system building engagement and empowerment skills, which can only come through systems thinking, critical thinking, and futures thinking. And and they may seem like jargon, but for me, those three key areas have to be present. So what Um, are the key areas again? System thinking? Systems thinking, critical thinking, and futures thinking. And I'll elaborate a little bit on those three. Um, You know, they're components that help you go beyond understanding the world so that you can participate in influencing and changing it. So critical thinking, for example, is about getting to the root cause of issues or situations and asking really difficult questions, the big picture questions that are critical of sometimes lifestyles, governance, and structures. So, for example, I was traveling to, on a train to Girona last week, and as I got off the train, I could see all these advertisements on the platform using the word sustainability in every other sentence. You know, and without well, critical... It's thinking, certainly old fashion. Yeah, it's fashionable. Fashion it's not everywhere. Yeah, and our young people are experiencing this, seeing uh, sustainability all around them, but they need to see beyond the the surface of it. They need the critical things to ask questions about 
is this a narrative? Is this is the word being used in a way that's relevant to what sustainability is? Are the adverts promoting lifestyle changes, critical questions that can help us improve our relationship with the planet? Or are they using this trendy word to actually confirm other arrangements? You know, things that are, non, are more marketing and spin than necessarily change. So critical thinking is quite critical in that aspect. Then there's the aspect of values clarification. Now, values clarification is about detecting bias, uh, about understanding one, why one holds specific values, where this has come from, what has influenced one's views of people and planet. And it's like peeling an onion and uncovering the layers of assumptions and influence that we are born with or that we're surrounded by and understanding that context, clarifying why we have those values, clarifying where they come from, what's, what's shaped them, and understanding that other people have other values that have been shaped by their own influences. Because that's really important to have meaningful conversations and dialogue. So, and then we have systems thinking, how we connect, uh, how we connect with the world, how our actions have consequences, how our plans, decisions, everything that we do um, has an implication well beyond that we might see. And that's positive, but also uh, sometimes uh, important to understand the consequences of one particular action or group of actions. So we have to start seeing relationships, we have to see connections that are sometimes invisible, and the new glasses of sustainability can make those more visible. Once we have these, we connect that with a commitment to participating, to engaging. And you can have various levels of engagement, but the opportunity to learn how to engage is really important. Because not only do you need to understand, I've said this prior, um, but you need to be able to know how to change things if you want to. If you want to inform, you have your information. But if you want to influence and bring about a change, you need to understand how change comes about. And this is, this is really critical. I think, you know, I'm, I'm working on a program now called The Future Makers, which is a program for 20 to 30-year-olds here in Gibraltar. And these are um, very smart young people who have a very deep commitment to sustainability, and they have their own projects, their plans to instigate change in particular areas. Um, some of them are working with electric vehicles, others are looking at changes within the education system, others are looking at um, presenting grants and, and incentives to the corporate sector to facilitate the changes. And a common thing I find when I talk to these young people about sustainability is that they believe that the, if they have very strong arguments and they're very clear uh, uh, passion and commitment, that they can sit in front of someone, present those arguments in a passionate way, and the person sitting on the other side of the table will have an epiphany. And they will uh, do whatever they're asking them to do or change their minds about how they're engaging <laughs> With people and planet and the it doesn't reality, happen that way right no, it's a dream right. <laughs> exactly and i don't think our schools are conveying this schools have a role to prepare young people for life for work and they need to understand change and influence so as i say it's not just about passion and commitment not just about knowing it's about understanding and participating in in changes to really really get to 
to, to that level where they can actually have an impact in the community. Okay, well, I, I'm very happy that you shared this uh, project of working and engaging with young people. I think this, this is very crucial in uh, effort in terms of engaging and enhancing the capacity of young people to really contribute to change. Um, thank you for sharing that. Change, change in education. Uh, you just mentioned um, one thing that you are doing among many uh, in terms of engaging young people. Uh, so from where you are and the experience you have had in working with these things, how can change in education take place? Um, it, it's something that's so much required. Uh, can you share a specific example? Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. I think, I think, you know, as educators involved in ESD, we not only need to create opportunities for change uh, and experiences for change, but we also need to ourselves understand how change happens. Um, and this is why I am a firm believer of professional development for educators in this area, because I think it's really important. And for me, international experiences have taught me that transformative change takes time. And that sometimes relies more on changing social contexts and changing mindsets than on science. And it goes back to that example I gave, you know, you can give as many facts and figures about climate change. Um, it's not going to change the way people live their lives, you know, ultimately. It has to totally. be something. Totally. We have it seen it huh, for the past 30 years. A lot of it, information that, doesn't necessarily change. Exactly. So I want to bring an anecdote of, of an experience I had in Australia when I was living and working in Australia uh, just over, a, you know, um, two decades ago, because Australia taught me that, you know, this transformative change takes time and that, you know, it has been uh, a, a very, that it is a very long journey. I, I had the privilege to belong to the board of directors of WWF Australia and worked with a, a very small team that created Earth Hour, La Hora de la Tierra, you must have heard it, um, in 2007. Sure, it's a very important uh, initiative. Yeah, and, and, and in 2007, it was a very small group here in Sydney that got together and, 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 and thought it through and, you know, and, and that experience was, was, was very formative for me because I remember how we gathered by the shores of Sydney Harbour with the media and with the leading politicians counting down the first Earth Hour. I have a lot, you know, after a, a lot of planning, after a lot of discussion about how it would work, how we could influence, uh, you know, we gathered at the Sydney Harbour expecting to see a city blackout. And so we counted it down. We said five, four, three, you know, the media was there. It was a big hullabaloo. And then what happens? The lights just didn't go out. It, it just didn't happen in 2007. Or at least it didn't happen immediately. I can imagine the feeling of disappointment. <laughs> it took more than 15 minutes into the hour before we could see a noticeable difference between uh, the city and the harbour lights being switched on and off. Um, and it taught me that people had switched off. They had bought to the idea but that it had taken time. They did it in their own time. You know, we gathered statistics on energy consumption. We collected images of the key landmarks without lights. We circulated this worldwide. And now today, Earth Hour is a major global movement. But, you know, we could have just quit 
you know, the first time round and said, oh, well, this is not as successful as we thought it was going to be. <laughs> and look at it now, you know, it is not only raising awareness, but it is leading to quite a significant buy-in by leaders and politicians who can see that, you know, there is impact in considering um, people action for sustainability. Mm. And I Which think year was that, Daniela? 2007. 2007. I think it's a great communication, I would say, successful communication strategy. And yeah, I'm happy yeah. you share this with us because I think most people don't know the history of Earth Hour. Yeah, and, and you, see, you see, parallels can be drawn with education because I think learners need to see the change, you know, and, and I think learners need to experience and participate as well as know and understand. This is my consistent message. So I think universities and schools must create experiential opportunities for learners in sustainability so that they can learn how to, you know, not just respond to a changing world, but actually learn how to change the world at the same time. And, and I, for that to happen, they need to experience change initiatives um, and understand the realities of it. You know, change initiatives are like snakes and ladders. You know, it doesn't happen when you want it. It takes time. People do it in their own time. There are lots of opportunities that might escalate your success in a change initiative, like a ladder in, in a snakes and ladders game. But there's also a lot of slippery snakes, you know, and if you happen to accidentally fall uh, on a situation or a, on, a, on a changing context that brings your, um, your change initiative down, or at least the impact of your change initiative down, it doesn't mean you give up. It means you have to find another ladder, another way up the board um, to keep persisting with change for sustainability. And that's another thing that I have found with the Future Makers uh, initiative that I'm working on with young people. Uh, the need to build resilience, the, the, the need to build a long game and understanding that, that this is not going to happen quickly and that there needs to be perseverance and persistence uh, for the sustainability agenda to, to get places. And the young generation seems to uh, not be willing to wait too much on things, right? It's kind of a, a generation culture that things have to happen in a very speed way, in a very fast way. Yeah, I, but, but I think the, the assessment system and the way we um, encourage learning in schools supports that rapid turnaround. Um, you know, the, the way that, the, the, that we assess and it's all like quite, um, quite structured, um, mm. and that we are providing feedback and expecting an, an improvement and a change very quickly and that things go in one particular direction and, and that we provide grades and assessment in a linear way. When learning, just like change, doesn't happen in a linear way. You know, there are ups and downs. There are periods where you're learning a lot more, where you're concentrating a lot more, where it's more meaningful for you. And other periods where, you know, you, your learning might be stagnant. It's the same with change. Change is not a constant, um, you know, it, it does require an understanding of the ups and downs. You know, a, a colleague of mine called Alex Ryan and I wrote a, a paper which talked about seasickness in the process of bringing about change in universities for sustainability <laughs> and we drew parallels between being on a boat <laughs> uh, and trying to bring about change in the sector which 
can be exhausting uh, because you've got the ups and the downs of the waves. You know, sometimes you get a tsunami <laughs> that completely uh, distracts you uh, and you're fighting for survival rather than fighting for progress. Uh, other times there are calm waters and there are other boats in the sea that help you progress um, this agenda in a very significant way. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and I think similarly, we have to convey uh, sustainability uh, and its issues in this context. Is it making sense to you? Sure, it's very clear. Now, you have talked about uh, being able to envision the future, but you have also been working for so long in, uh, in higher education and sustainability. So, Daniela, what would be your most important advice for a professor, uh, the head of a department or director of a university anywhere in the world who is already committed and willing to make things happen and reorient uh, teaching and learning towards sustainability, what would be your most important advice to them to make teaching and learning for sustainability happen specifically in higher education? Okay, um, right. So probably I would give a couple of steers. Um, the very first steer would be don't add, reframe and change, but don't add more uh, because we cannot just have business as usual with added content or, or new programs added onto it. Uh, and we get that a lot recently because a lot of educators are wanting to just um, add the SDGs onto their existing programs. So they're considering the sustainable development goals as primarily thematic and identifying themes of gender inequality, about poverty alleviation, um, about improving conditions of life in the sea or in the oceans and bringing them to the existing programs. And sustainability is not an add-on. It is actually challenging everything else that's been taught already, which leads us to assumptions about the way we live our lives, about the way we organize ourselves, about the way we govern. Um, and so it needs to question what we're doing already rather than just adding on more examples or particular assignments in these areas. So I'm not saying that the SDGs are not valuable they are and they can certainly help advance our ambitions but we must learn not to misrepresent the goals and to rather than draw attention to islands of good practice in universities and colleges we need to work towards a step change that is much deeper and that helps to build capability of our graduates of our researchers in this area and and for that we need to for example change the way that we have discipline boundaries. Um, for example, we move away from discipline-based inquiry towards more interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary investigations because reality is more interdisciplinary because the complexity of sustainability requires us to make those connections. Uh, we also need to stop doing research on people and start working with people uh, in research programs. And, and this is something that continues to this day. I, I evaluate a lot of research programs, particularly for the European Union, and it surprises me how sustainability researchers are still 
using the traditional researcher on researched. Um, and I think we need to redefine the role of researcher away from being primarily experts to being collaborators and bringing the users of the research to the heart of the research framing. Um, we need to start thinking about research which has academic impact, about um, research that has social impact in particular, because if it doesn't have an impact, then you, know, you could say research is ethically questionable, isn't it? Why are resources being, being plowed into research that doesn't actually lead to anything um, different in our world? So I think that that transformative edge in both research and in learning is, is quite critical. We do need to have education that goes beyond simply informing to, to transforming. And, and for me, you know, it's it's so important to have that questioning. So to summarize that first point, I would say don't add question, challenge. The other thing I would say is as a second steer is don't look down. Don't just focus on what's in front of you and what's directly responsible you're directly responsible for. Look up and around. Um, because there are invisible links between the academic work you might be doing and the campus management work or the community engagement or the quality side of work. And if we are going to escalate things at the university and move things away from the margins to the mainstream, we need to make those connections. It's really important to look around um, mm. and, and, and bring those things together. And the last bit I would say is look beyond uh, the university campus gates. Because again, I think we need to redesign um, not just what we're doing in the university, but how we relate outside of the university. And I, I want to give you an example of the University of Cambridge. I was precisely going to ask you a specific <laughs> example that you have actually lived, you know, because you have been in so many universities. Uh, we, in, in Cambridge in 2019, um, they removed beef and lamb and added plant-based food options into the catering outlets, right? Um, and all their hospitality events. And overnight, an action like this had a radical impact on the carbon footprint of the university, reducing it by 10.5%. That was just overnight, um, you know, reminding us that there is, you know, that, that students need to live through changes so that they understand through the higher education experience what a change looks like and what the dramatic benefits of, of something can be when, when, a, when a courageous decision is taken. Um, and that not only redefined the relationship for students and their experiences, but also those with the providers of the food, the, the, you know, the, the, the supply chain got redefined. So here's a university being an agent of change, uh, not just to those who belong to the university community, but those who are supporting and providing food to the university, extending the reach and the impact well beyond the campus gates. Thank you so much for that example. It's a very concrete action uh, that a university can, can make, in, of course, with an important consequence. So, Daniela, in these uncertain times, what do you think the future has installed for higher education and sustainable development? Uh, yeah, in 2021, I think 
change for sustainability is is happening, but it's happening perhaps too incrementally, perhaps too much in the margins of higher education, which is why I'm asking for these more profound questions to be asked. And and I think that uh, sustainability in all its guises will bring a, a decade of disruption to higher education, I have no doubt. We've already seen how our, our lack of respect for nature, human boundaries, um, has given rise to, to a pandemic that has ransacked our lives, our communities, our economies. It's changed the world as we, we knew it. And, and I think that, unfortunately, life-changing and life-threatening experiences are going to continue to present themselves. And sustainability issues are going to become more and more visible. Um, and not only is this going to have implications for modes of delivery, we've seen that, how we've got more online, but I think it's going to have an impact on the core fabric of institutions and even on business models for higher education. You know, last month, the IPCC um, provided evidence of how human activity is making heat waves, heavy rainfall and droughts a lot more frequent and more severe in every continent. You know, it does conclude that if we don't make changes very quickly, these are now going to be irreversible and the impact tremendous to everyone, not just to the select few. And so I think one of the key things that higher education is going to be engaging with in the future is divestment. And I think divestment is a really important aspect of change in higher education. It will be almost like the first step in the transition of higher education to a new business model, one that stigmatizes fossil fuel um, and that can lead to a permanent compression, actually, in the trading multiples. And I think that this can potentially pose a far-reaching threat to the fossil fuel companies because we have many universities like Stanford, Cambridge, Oxford, Durham, Glasgow, Hawaii, Bath Spa, the Australian National University, Chalmers University of Technology in Sweden. And they all have divested. They've all signaled yes. a commitment. Harvard did, uh, made a, a very strong uh, decision on the, the same thing not long ago. Great. It's actually hard to believe that uh, higher education and universities still had some investment on fossil fuels. Yeah, and I think it's mainly, my understanding is a lot of teachers' pensions, uh, you know, university pensions, as well as, you know, investment in particular um, aspects of the fabric of the institution. Yeah, but, you know, but divesting certainly gives a very strong and clear signal it's also part of a communication strategy, I would say, to, to help us change our mindsets. Yeah, 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 there's little doubt. And I think it can change the DNA of higher education once those values, those principles are embedded in the culture of the institution and they're not just sort of projects that are happening in the margins once it gets to the core of the governing body who makes a commitment. And, you know, I keep using climate change as an example, but there are commitments to, you know, getting rid of extreme poverty, alleviating extreme poverty is not enough, but getting rid of it is very important. And equally, I think institutions like universities and colleges have a very big role to play in having impact in our local communities, but far beyond that. Um, and, you know, there, there's increasing poverty in urban dwellers at the moment and not just in those countries we traditionally associate with, with drought and malnutrition. We also find poverty in our urban 
communities. Um, and COVID has accelerated the pace and the scale um, that of, of, of those experiences, unfortunately. And I do think universities and colleges need, need to open their eyes up uh, and be more responsible and aware to what is happening around their campus gates, as well as provide opportunities for students to learn and participate in, in addressing these situations. Um, I think, I think, you know, so, so in response, I think, in response to the question, I think universities have a very important role to play as lighthouses in our community. Um, and not, you know, I, I spoke about mirrors before, how they are actually mirroring uh, a lot of what is wrong in our society. But I think they can, they can light up new paths. They can show the way to our students and to our communities in the area of sustainability. And I think they need to do that through inspiration and not through fear. Um, you know, I, I, I think fear doesn't get get us too far. I think through inspiring action, through rethinking the campuses, the classrooms, the way learning takes place, the, the, the dynamics of the teacher-learner relationship, the community, university, town and gown relationship, by inspiring a new way forward, I think the impact could be quite far-reaching. Mm. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned about climate change and COP26 is around the corner. This year, we also have the G20 and many other international meetings. Uh, all of these meetings can certainly mark a different future for all of us. Uh, mm. Depends on how it's led and organized and how much uh, countries can commit to really move forward on the, on the policies. Yeah. I know you are involved in preparing uh, briefings, events and negotiations at these international meetings. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and, and if, if you think that progress is really being attained? Yeah, very good question. Um, I don't know but if, if, if um, colleagues have seen, uh, I mean, this is being filmed in September or this has been recorded in September when we've just had the Global Citizen uh, Music Festival. Um, I don't know whether that reached your part of the world, but it can no. It but it's okay, a, you can talk a little bit about it. <laughs> it conveyed a very powerful message about the need for leaders to stop and think about the future in a different way because there are a lot of, a very, of, of big decisions being made this year in 2021. Um, there is COP26 in Glasgow. There's the G20 that's going to happen in Rome. This week on the 29th of September, there's the there's a, a youth summit taking place in Milan, and all of these are laying the tracks for international agreements in the area of climate change, particularly, but also for financing and investment to alleviate poverty, to ensure that women have access to education, to trying to address inequalities between the rich and poor countries. And all these themes are very much connected. So, there's a lot of dialogues, there's a lot of agreements, there's a lot of stake this year, much more than many other years. And sometimes these dialogues and what's at stake is not always visible. Um, so I think it's a really good time to, to keep our eyes open and, and with regards to the news and to developments, because it is a very, very critical time. Uh, sometimes I've asked whether 
you know, a lot of these international meetings are just a waste of time and space or, or whether, you know, there is progress. And, and, and my personal view is that progress has been remarkable, maybe not as fast or as ambitious as we, as we need it to be. But when you consider the starting point of where we were 20, 30 years ago, you know, when the word sustainability was just a narrative, it was just a term. And, and, and people were, were talking at crossroads with each other. They, they didn't mean the same thing when they used the term. They were just talking about a philosophy, a way of thinking, a way of life. But now, you know, when we talk about sustainability, we're talking about specific targets. We're talking about financing mechanisms. We're talking about resilience. We're talking about building structures and systems to protect the most vulnerable. We're talking about international agreements that lead to some concrete action. As I say, sometimes these actions are not as ambitious as we need them to be, but we're certainly heading in the right direction. And I do believe that these, the COP26 in particular is going to make some fundamental uh, announcements associated with, with education, um, really big announcements associated with education and international collaboration yeah. because i keep thinking to... that climate change if you if we really want our world to move towards the direction of, of people individuals uh, companies institutions are really addressing climate change seriously i i wonder how all of that could take place without seriously incorporating that into education at all levels so it's yes Yes. Very hard to yes. believe that this could take yeah. place without that. Yeah, but the thing is, I think there's a general understanding that education is important and that it's a critical strategy in taking this agenda forward. I think there's a general understanding of that. But from my perspective, if I may be a little bit critical, I would say that uh, sometimes you see situations where um, environmentalists are going into schools and going into universities and telling teachers and educa educational professionals how to teach these to teach these content, how to teach this area, and I think that's where we're failing. I think uh, educators need to be more centre stage, need to be informing, advising a lot more on how we tackle the education strategy, um, because going to school. Um, uh, and experiencing school doesn't make you an educator. You know, education is, is, is a profession in itself and there's expertise in how people learn and how changes uh, take place as a result of education. And, and I often get concerned that, that there's a lot of preaching going on from, um, from those who want change to happen very quickly. Um, but we actually do need those who understand and know education fundamentally to be influencing how we respond uh, to education at the international level, but also within the classroom setting. Mm. You know, um, there are different terms. And for someone who is new to this, we may mm. hear climate change education, education for sustainable development environment education and so forth how do you relate them do you are they similar are they different what 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 are the synergies between climate change education and ESD or environment education for that matter 
I don't worry about what we call it. I worry about what we do with it. Um, so um, I, d I don't tend to concern myself about the terms, but but the practice of what we do in favour of sustainable development or in favour of uh, addressing the sustainable development goals is what's important. Um, so um, for me, sometimes they're interchangeable and sometimes they're not. If, if what we're doing, I said before, you know, to me, exposing young children to nature is seen as being very important uh, all of the sudden, and that's happening a lot. Uh, that, to me, is not education for sustainable development, uh, because it is not looking at people and planet relationships on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, it is instead looking at the, you know, the, the study of nature. It is looking at um, aspects which are also very important but something that should be dealt with already in the geography or the science curriculum. So for me, education for sustainable development is about bringing that new set of glasses into our education systems and starting to question those unsustainable relationships that already exist. They're there and start questioning why, why are we doing it this way? Is that gonna help us move towards a more sustainable world or is it hindering us? Um, and, and to me, there's a, there's a fundamental difference between talk, talking and teaching about thematic issues, be the climate, be poverty alleviation, be being protecting our oceans, plastic pollution, recycling. There's a fundamental difference between that and education for sustainable development that gets us to question why we leave our lives in particular ways and what we can do to improve those relationships. Uh, that do exploit people and planet. Well, this leads me to the question about the Earth Charter. It's our last question of our conversation today. You talked about the um, kind of education that helps us amplify our relationship, uh, the people-planet relationship. But also you talked about the kind of education that helps us to become critical thinkers and future thinkers. And also a kind of education that helps us to, to, to address uh, values uh, through lenses of values clarification. So how do you think the Earth Charter could be used in this context? Okay, um, well, the Earth Charter to me is like a compass. You know, we, 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 need, we need it but we also need to travel with it. We need to take it places. Um, we need to work within not just our immediate environment, but, but well beyond it to take it with us and use those 16 principles to help, help us uh, take a journey, take a journey with others. Um, if we use it as a checklist, I think we're missing the point. If we use it as a document that can help us initiate conversations that can help us understand situations with others, that can encourage us to reflect and reframe or even relearn our relationships with people and planet, then we're going somewhere. So I think it's a terrific orientator. Um, it's a terrific resource for guiding conversations and reminding us that we do have a destination, that we do want a better world, because those principles illustrate what a better world uh, could be like. But you know, we need to discover those new pathways together and using this compass, we can 
try and look for that pathway that's going to lead us to a more sustainable future. Um, sustainability is really a, an act of collaboration, an act of imagination, and we need to charter this new course for change for us and, and for a much better world. It is not about resolving issues and problems of today. I, th I think people are mistaken. It is about striking a very different uh, way of living, a very diff different way of organizing and governing ourselves. And so I think the Earth Charter can help us make that imaginative leap, leap into a very, very different uh, future. Well, thank you so much, Daniela, for this most inspiring um, conversation. It's been very enriching for me. And uh, of course, you have such a, a wonderful way of articulating these complex ideas and actually sounds very simple when we hear it from you. Thank you so much, not only for today, but thank you so much for everything you have been doing for all these years uh, to help us expand our thinking with regards to how education uh, should be reoriented to something else. Thank you, Daniela. It's always a pleasure talking to you, Miriam. Uh, you know, we, we've all been engaged with this work for a very long time, and I think we rely on each other's support and encouragement to, to keep going. So, so thank you. Thank you. If you like this episode, please share it and support our movement by making a donation. This podcast is developed by Earth Charter International as part of our work as UNESCO Chair on Education for Sustainable Development with the Earth Charter. For more information, visit our website at earthcharter.org.